All right, is everybody good? Y'all got one of those little handout things? So, glad you guys are here. I realized I started working on this this morning. I realized real quick, I bit off more than I can chew. I should have known when I, how to read the Bible is going to be too much. So, I've tried to kind of walk this line between how to read and how to study. You know how to read. So, I'm trying to, I've tried to hold both of those things in tension, kind of how to read the Bible and how to study the Bible. There's a ton of information. I'm going to move through it really quick. My hope is that you get one thing, just one, um, that helps you moving forward. I'm going to float around a little bit um, after I, I talk. If y'all have any questions about anything, any follow-ups, I'll be happy to um, answer those as best I can. So let me give you just some big picture stuff, and then I'm going to talk to you about the method that I think is the best method for reading the Bible. It's, you don't have to use it, but it's the one that I think is the, it's the best in terms of, uh, it gets you, I would think, to the, I think it gets you to the meaning of what uh, the authors are trying to say the best and the most consistently. So, first thing, if you want to read a Bible, you got to get one that you understand. So, if you would do, if, if I could tell everybody what to buy, I would say buy that. It costs thirty nine ninety nine, so it is expensive. But the, it never changes, so you only have to buy one for the rest of your life. I would buy an NIV study Bible, and if I could, I would buy every one of you. Uh, I would buy one for everybody. You may not like that. The two things when you're buying a Bible you need to know, the translation and the type. The translation, that's, what's, that's NIV, New International Version. There's about 180 translations, I think, easily in the United States. There's more than that worldwide. There's all kinds of translations some are word for word, some are thought for thought. It just depends on what you like to read. We go to those next ones. Here's John 3.16. Oh, you can't see that at all. In different translations. These three are kind of the old school translations. The English standard is what used to be called the Revised Standard Version. The New American, which is a word for word. And then the King James. You have all this on your sheet. And then the next slide, these are all newer translations. The NIV, we just heard, is the most popular in the United States. The New Living, if you have um, teenagers, it's a great one for teenagers. And then the message, you're welcome to read it, but it's not a translation. It's one guy's interpretation of um, the Bible, a guy named Eugene Peterson. It's really good, but it's not a translation of the Bible. It's more of a paraphrase. Will you go back to that first slide, please? And then the type. There's lots of types. This is the type called a study Bible. There's life application. There's devotional Bibles. There's student Bibles, men's Bibles, women. I saw one the other day. There's a Bible for hunters. Um, so any, there is. So the, I guess you're in the deer stand. You need something to read. So there's all kinds of Bibles. You pick whatever you want. If, you, if you're only going to buy one, buy that one. Ask for it for Christmas. It is expensive. You can get it on your Kindle. It's a little clunky, though. So I would say get the hard copy, even if you're, a electro, even if you're an electronic person, because it is pretty clunky on the Kindle. The best thing about that Bible is uh, we're going to talk about a method. A lot of what we're going to talk about, they've already done all the work for you. And so all you have to do is look down to the bottom of the page, and it will be there. really helps with trying to with understanding what the Bible would have meant to the original audience, which is important. Uh, it's important whether you're reading for yourself. It's especially important if you're teaching other people to know what the Bible, what the authors originally intended the text to mean. And this does most of the work for you. So, 
tips. This is just a few random tips for me. Where do I start? It doesn't matter. Where do I go next? It doesn't matter. And what do I focus on? It doesn't matter. Just pick. You read whatever you want. I I like to start with Mark. If I'm telling somebody where to read, I say start with Mark. It's the shortest gospel and has the least number of uh, sermons. It's mostly action, so it's super easy to get into, and it's very easy to follow. And so if you can get Mark, then the others kind of can begin to make sense. Um, Where do you go next? I like to go through different sections. You can do whatever you want. Some of you probably have that app. It's from a, it's the, one of the top three apps on both the App Store and in the, the Google Play Store. It's from a place called Life Church. They put it all out for free. It's very well done. It's called the Bible app. And if you download that to your phone, there's a, there's a button on it that says plans. And there are a billion plans that you can look through. If you want to know where to go next, if you like having a plan... You get that app and you hit plan and it will you will you will die before you get through all of the plan. I promise you will. You will even at 15 years old. You'll be dead before you can get through all of them. There's so many of them, everything that you can think of. And so go through those plans if that's helpful for you. If that helps you, I like to jump from section to section. I'll talk about that in a little bit. I do think it's helpful. Kim and I were talking about this earlier. Like right now, she's wanting to learn about healing. So she's reading the Gospels to see every time Jesus healed somebody, and she's kind of making note of that. So that, help, that can help provide some focus, and that may help you as well. If you're thinking, I'm just reading this, I really don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of it. Am I looking for a word or a verse, or what am I supposed to be doing? One thing that you can do when you approach the Bible is say, well, what, I actually, what do I want to know? Do you want to know about healing? Do you want to know about hope? Do you want to know about creation or judgment? Or what are the things that you're looking for? And you can pick a section and read through it. I do not recommend, although it's better than nothing at all, but I don't recommend kind of doing a Google search on hope and just reading the verses. Not incredibly helpful. Um, All you're going to get are the verses that say the word hope in them. And one thing that's super important when you're trying to understand the Bible is context. And you don't have any context if you're just getting one verse. And some of the verses that are the most inspiring in terms of hope don't say the word. Romans 8, 28 is a great verse for hope. God works all things together for the good for those who love him. That's a verse that gives hope. The word hope is nowhere in it. It's better than nothing for sure. But I would say the best is just to begin is to read a chunk of the Bible looking for a theme or whatever it is that you're trying to grow in. So none of that stuff matters. Just get started and jump in. Let's see what's next. Okay. The Bible is revelation. You've got to know that. There are no secret codes. There's nothing hidden. If God doesn't want us to know, he just doesn't tell us. The point of the Bible is to say here in black, here in plain English for us is the truth that God wants to reveal. There's so many things that God could have said. And he chose the words that are in that book for a reason. And so when you're reading it, that's always in the back of your mind. God, why this? Why this? Why this? Why did you put this in here? What did you want me to know? The genius of the Bible is that somehow it's relevant across all time and across all cultures. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's very accessible for us. The issue for us, it was written thousands of years ago, different languages and different cultures. So there is a gap between the guys who wrote it 
and us who are reading it. And I'm going to try to help you bridge that gap um, in the next few minutes. But I want you to know as you approach it is that God gave us the book in order to reveal himself to us, in order to reveal how he works to us, in order to reveal our identity to us, in order to reveal how we're supposed to respond to him, to us. The point of the book is to disclose information about God, about creation, and about us. It's not to keep things hidden. It's not to obscure. It's, that's not the point. Again, the things that God doesn't, Jesus, when the disciples said, Jesus, when are you coming back? He said, I don't know. The things that we don't need to know, they're not in there. And so looking, don't, you don't need to look for mysteries and codes and unlocking secrets and all that. None of that stuff is there. It's all plain. That's the reason he's given us the Bible. And it's meant to be obeyed. Doesn't do you any good just to keep it in your head. And it actually will, it's dead if it just stays in your head. The Bible is meant to be obeyed. The best way to get the Bible into you is to begin to do what it says. And so if that means you need to read less because that helps you obey more, then you absolutely do that. That's better than reading a lot and never incorporating the truth into your life. Does that make sense? Okay, next. Okay, so this I think is super important. If you can grab onto this, it'll help you a ton. So Bible, 66 books written by 40-something different authors over hundreds, if not thousands of years. What holds it together? God. And so if you can read, I'm going to use the word theologically, you don't have to. Keep the big picture in mind. It helps a ton. One of these questions is, you know, what about all the bad things that happen? Keeping this stuff in mind helps when you get to those bad places in Joshua, those bad places in Judges. When you read those things and they just don't make sense, if you can keep the big picture in mind, it can help to some degree. So for me, just because it's easy, I try to keep two primary characteristics of God in mind every time I read the Bible. He's holy and he's loving. And God always acts consistent with his character. So anything he does, I'm going to say, I've got to figure out how I can trace that back to his holy love. Because everything he does, he does out of his character. He never acts contrary to who he is. So if he says, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm, I'm slow to anger, I'm quick to love, then everything he does comes out of that. So for me, the shorthand is holy love. And that kind of, to me, that encompasses just about every other attribute of God you could put under one of those two headings. And so when I'm reading terrible stories in Joshua or Judges, or when there's something that I don't understand... I go back to this is, this is the work of a holy and loving God, and he always acts consistent to his character. So is there a way for me to see this through the grid of holy love? It can be a little bit of work, but, I, but it's better than just skipping past it. So I try to keep that in mind. And there's all kinds of behavioral statements in the Bible, and it can get overwhelming. Like somebody, one of their questions was, how come we have to do some of the stuff now, and how come we don't have to do some of the stuff now? Talking about the rules. Jesus said, here are the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. Every command given falls under one of those two. You're either loving God or you're loving people. So you remember those four words, and you're good to go. You don't have to remember any of the rest of them. You're loving God and you're loving people. And so particularly when you read Paul, half of, all of, his, half of his letters... In each letter, he has a section that says, here's how you need to behave. And again, it can feel overwhelming to try to think, how am I supposed to do all of those things? 
love God, love people. And those things are just specific examples of how to do that. And the author, there's one author ultimately, if you believe the Bible is inspired by God, God doesn't make mistakes, God doesn't forget, God doesn't contradict himself. And so that helps me too. When I'm reading things in different parts, there's a consistency to the Bible that you, I want you to look for. I want you to recognize, again, it's the same guy who inspired John 3.16, also inspires you know, some of these other passages where he talks about people going to hell where the fire's never quenched and the worm never dies. So that's the same God. So again, I'm looking for some consistency there. There is paradox in the Bible, but there's not consistency. So paradox is an apparent contradiction, but it's not a real one. So the greatest is the one who serves. That's a paradox. To save your life, you have to lose it. That's a paradox. To say that we're responsible for our actions and God is sovereign, God controls. That's a paradox. And so we want to try to hold those things in tension. And you can do that if you recognize the Bible ultimately has one source. It's God. He's the one that inspired all of those writers. He inspired all of the words that they wrote down. And again, he remembers what he said. He remembers what he said in Genesis when he's inspiring John to write Revelation. And so you can hold on to that. The Bible's consistent. So I'm, I'm saying all of these things, it's re- that's really for your heart in terms of how you approach. Because the Bible can, there are times where it can be frustrating when you're reading it. There are times where it, it, does, it doesn't make sense. Peter actually says, I wish I could, I think it's in Second Peter, and he's talking about the letters of Paul. And he says, sometimes Paul says things that are confusing. Like Peter says that about Paul. And they were contemporaries. So think about us 2,000 years later. It can be really confusing. So there are parts that are difficult, 100%. But if you can keep these three bullets in mind, it can, I hope, motivate you to to dig. Character of God, holy love, or you pick the ones you like, I think those are the best. Holy love, commands, love God, love people, and it's consistent. The Bible never contradicts itself. And so if you can keep those things in mind, when you get to something that you get stuck on, I hope that motivates you to dig deeper and to try to reconcile it with the things that you already know to be true. A principle of biblical interpretation is you let the clear interpret the fuzzy. So you take things that are crystal clear and you use those to help you interpret things that are fuzzy or less clear. And so being settled on some of this stuff will help you when you get to those fuzzy passages in the Bible. All right, let me see where we're at. Okay, let's see the next. All right, so I think I've got, there's several slides on this. I was thinking about it like a sports analogy. So most of you have played some sport in your life. You start off, you love it, and then at some point you get a coach who drills you on fundamentals and it gets really boring. How many forehands do I have to hit? How many jump shots do I have to take? How many times are you going to tell me to use the inside of my foot to pass the ball? And you do that and it can really slow down. But if you can get the fundamentals, then the game gets a lot more fun. You get a lot better, that stuff gets ingrained in you, and you can play with a lot more freedom and effectiveness. If you're going to read the Bible over time, fruitfully, you've got to get a framework. Or else it's, it, you're never going to have, you're not going to have a box to put it in. You've got to know some of the fundamentals. And there, I don't know how else to tell you to get them other than to get them. It takes a little bit of work, but it's worth it over time. Because, it, again, it, it'll give you, it gives you stuff to hang what you're reading on. It gives you a skeleton that you can use as you're reading the Bible. And I don't care what your framework is. It really depends on how you're wired. Some people like this. 
They want to know what they're reading. The white is Old Testament. The yellow is new. There's different types of literature in the Bible, and you read them differently. So the Old Testament has three kinds, history, wisdom, and prophetic. It begins with history, and you're supposed to read history straightforward. The idea is you take it at face value unless the context says you don't. So, like, it's telling you what happened. There are um, wisdom. That, to me, that's poetry. That's, it's figurative. It's still true, but it's not literal. So, like, right now, so for this year for me, I'm trying to learn how to pray. And so I'm reading psalms. I'm reading five psalms a day plus something else. Not, so I'm probably my sixth round through psalms in 2016. And it's brutal for me. It's all kinds of, it's poetry, it's flowery, it's metaphorical, it's emotional, it's all the things that I'm not. But I ha- I'm, it's still true, and I'm learning through that. And so for you, even if it doesn't connect necessarily with your preferred mode of communication, like, dig in. So that, the Old Testament's full of what's called wisdom literature, and again, it's true, but a lot of it's not, uh, it's not literal in the way history is. And then there's prophetic. And so you see all of those prophets, and that's full of predictions of deliverance and judgment on nations. That's, that's the bulk of what you read, and that wears people out. Hey, another oracle against another country. Another oracle against another country. I wonder what's going to happen. They're going to be destroyed. I mean, it, it, it can get a little repetitive. Most prophetic books are predicting the future. And many of the prophecies have two fulfillments. They have one that's near term and one that's longer term that is fulfilled in Jesus or when Jesus, either in his first coming or his second coming. And that can also get to be confusing. And that's where that study Bible can help you. It can tell you, hey, this prophecy was fulfilled 700 years ago and it's going to be fulfilled again when Jesus returns. And it can help you kind of see why, does, why do these prophetic books even matter for where we are now. New Testament, you've got the Gospels. Gospels are not biographies. All the things you would want to know in a biography aren't there. We don't know how tall Jesus is. We don't know what his hair color is. We don't know what his favorite food is. All of the things that are in a biography, they're not there. A Gospel is a story. It's good news. It's good news about the coming kingdom of God that's breaking in through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts is history. Romans through Jude are letters. What can be tricky about those books is you only have half the conversation. It would be like if, if I called Emma and I was talking to her on the phone and you were in the house with her, all you would hear is what Emma's saying. You may be able to guess what I'm saying by her responses, but you wouldn't know for sure. And so all of those letters, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those letters, it's half of a conversation. And so in order to really understand it, we kind of have to piece together what was going on. The conversations are specific to local issues. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia because there was something going on in Galatia, and he wanted to address it. And he couldn't make it there in person, so he wrote him a letter. And so when you're reading them, you need to kind of keep that in mind. You're hearing half the story, and Paul is addressing something, and you don't know what he's addressing. He's talking about a local issue, and he doesn't tell us, rarely, he does in 1 Corinthians, rarely does he say, here's the problem that I'm attacking, or here's the point I'm trying to make. Obviously, they're inspired by God, they're valuable, but in terms of reading, they just need to keep that in mind. And then Revelation's called an apocalyptic. It's a different type of literature, and it's written to people who are under persecution, and it's intended to give them hope, to say God's going to make everything right in the end, 
and it is massively, highly symbolic. And so you got to kind of weed through that. I would read that last. Yeah. There, there, yeah, you may could see that, and there's some of Daniel, and there's some of Ezekiel, but, in, but Revelation is the only book that's, um, the whole book is apocalyptic, except for the first three chapters. Okay, next. Another framework. Some of you like making connections. I want to see how all the pieces fit together. Get a chronological Bible. I actually think everybody should read a chronological Bible once in their life, because what it will do is it, it does put the pieces together. So you're reading First and Second Samuel. Here's the life story of David. And as you're reading it, it puts the Psalms in that he wrote during that time. You go, oh, here's what's going on in his heart. Here's what's going on in his life, First Samuel's history. And here's what's going on in his heart and his mind at the same time because the Psalm is stuck there. Or you read Acts. Oh, Paul went to this place. And here's the letter that he wrote. And it puts Galatians and Ephesians. And you can see how those things fit together. It takes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it weaves them all together. And so you can get a bit of a chronological sense of, oh, here are all the things that Jesus did and the order in which he did them. So my, it, I, my recommendation would be that everybody does it once. That, book, that Bible's 12 bucks, so you can afford that. Pass it around your house. You already have nine in your house. Ten is not going to make a big difference. So it's $12. Pick it up. You can, that's actually a one year, which can be tough. You don't have to read it in a year. God doesn't care. Just work through it. And it's especially good for... First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, which a lot of people get lost in the weeds. It takes all of these prophetic books and it takes the Psalms and it sticks them into their historical context. So you're reading about these kings who are wicked and terrible and you're going, what in the world is God doing? And in the midst of that, you can say, oh, he was speaking through Isaiah and here's what he was saying and people were ignoring him or people were responding to him. And so it puts those pieces of the Bible Together, I think in a very helpful way, but again, but you might not be wired that way. Next, sequentially, some of you think this way. There's lots of different ways that you can think about it. Those are two, the yellow and the white. It's just different ways of thinking about the Bible from beginning to end. The Bible has a definite end. It's revelations when history is going to end. The definite beginning, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. So one of the things about biblical history versus history in many other world religions is it actually is moving towards something. The word's called the telos, cyclical, for us as Christians. We don't believe in karma and reincarnation and all of those things. We believe there's going to be an end. You die once, is what the writer of Hebrews says. And so everything's working towards an end. And for some people, it's helpful to see that. And so those are two different sequential uh, frameworks. Some people like themes, and there are so many I didn't list any of them. Some people like to grab onto themes. The kingdom of God, that's a theme in the Bible. Redemption is a theme. Creation is a theme. New creation is a theme. Judgment is a theme. If that helps you, you can grab on. I think those other three are much more helpful to give you a broad picture of how the particular book you're reading fits into this bigger story of what God is doing. Does that make sense? So whatever one helps you grab on to here's how my little book fits into this bigger book, that's what you're trying to get. It's, again, it's that framework. It's those fundamentals. This is the story. The story is God created, and then he created humanity in his image, and then they sinned and they fell, and then he began the work of redeeming them, and he started by picking Abraham and saying, it's through you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through you, and he chose Israel. Abraham became, and then they have the nation of Israel comes, and the nation of Israel blows it. 
year after year after century after century. And so he sends his son to fix it. His son does everything Israel can't do, fulfills the law perfectly, and then dies in our place. And then the rest of the New Testament is the outworking of Jesus' resurrection. Here's what it looks like now that Jesus has ascended into heaven. He's sent us the Holy Spirit. He's created a new people of God. And then Revelation says, and he's going to bring everything to an end. That's the overall framework. And so everything you're reading, you can hang on that clothesline, if that makes sense. So whichever one works for you, grab on to it because you're going to need it. Otherwise, you're reading numbers and you don't know why. Or you're reading Galatians and it doesn't make any sense. And if you've got a framework, then you've got a place to put, you've got a box to put it in. All right, we've got to move. Okay, here's my method. It's not mine. It's the one I use. Some people call this English Bible. Some people call this inductive Bible study. I just call it the best one. Three questions that you're asking. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? Observation, interpretation, application. Super easy. You can remember those three words. Observation, interpretation, application. There are plenty of other ways of reading the Bible. I think this gets you. I think this is the best. I'll just say that. You do whatever you want. But this is the one that I would recommend for you. So we'll look at each step. So what does it say? What does it mean? I do those together. If you ever take a class, they won't let you do them together. God doesn't care. So it's a lot easier for me to do those two questions together because they bleed into one another. So these are the things you're looking for when you're saying, what does it say? What does it mean? The first thing is you've got to figure out, what am I actually reading? Am I reading one verse? Am I reading a chapter? Am I reading a book? And so to my, my opinion is you're, you're looking for a thought or a story. You're looking for a beginning and an end. The chapters and the verse numbers are not super helpful. Those were not original. They're not inspired by God. Just some guy did that when he was riding a donkey or something. And so they don't make sense sometimes. That your headings in your Bible can be super helpful. And if you're going to go with something, I would go with the headings before your chapters and before your verses because that artificially, that can artificially cut things off. So I would look at a story based on how much time you have to read. The, the more context you get, the better your interpretation is going to be. Again, if, if I'm writing you an email and all you get is the first paragraph, that's good. The first paragraph is better than the first sentence. The whole email is better than the first paragraph. But you don't have that, you don't have that kind of time every day to do. So you have to, you're going to have to break it up. But I would encourage you to read, try to get a whole thought in there, try, or a story if you like that better. Something that with, where there's a definite beginning and a definite end. Then you want to define any terms or words you don't know. Just identify them. What do I not know? What doesn't make sense? What's a word I don't know in this passage? Or what's something that seems really anything that's interesting to you? And then don't worry about that last question. That's really more if you're um, teaching than if you're studying on your own. What would the original audience have heard? So let me show you a resource. This is called, this is blueletterbible.org. You've got it down there on your sheet. And so you go to blueletterbible.org. And you type in, we're going to look at Matthew 4. I think you've got that. Do you have the sheet that has Matthew 4 on it? So we're going to look at that together. So y'all read that super quick. It's 11 verses. And then we'll talk about it. I don't have it. 
No. That's fine. All right, y'all are done, or close enough. So, this is just an example. Again, if you've got that study Bible, this will do a lot of this. It'll do a lot of it for you, but not everything. So, I read that and I go, ah, tempted. That seems like a big word. That seems like the theme of the whole thing to me. So, what does it mean to be tempted? And so, if you go to blueletterbible.org, you type in Matthew 4. I picked the NIV. You can pick other translations. And this is the screen that you'll get. And then what you'll do is, which verse has tempted in it? It's tools. And this, go ahead, Kim. Go ahead. And this is the screen that you'll get. So there are all these tabs at the top. I just use the interlinear. You can use the other. There's tons of resources on it. But that interlinear tab breaks the verse down word by word. And I see my word to be tempted, third from the bottom. And so then I click on that thing that says Strong's. So Strong's is a reference book that's tied to the King James Bible. You don't have to read the King James Bible to use Strong's. And you click on that. So I'm going to click on G, whatever that was, 3985. And it brings up this page. And then there's a dictionary. If I want to, I can look. That's what the dictionary says. Hey, here's what it means to tempt. It means to try, to test, to prove. Or it means there's actually a lot more to it than that. That was just all I could get on the sheet. You can't. So you can do that. You go to the next one. Or if you don't want to do that, you can just scroll down. Outline of biblical usage. Hey, there's ours. To try or test one's faith, virtue, character by enticement to sin. So there's all the ways that word is used in the Bible. Go to the next. And then there's a whole list of the other verses where it shows up. All that's free. You go to blueletterbible.com or org. You put in your verse. You type on, you hit your word and you can get everything you've ever wanted to know. And most of it is more than you want to know. It's way more than you need. But you can get a sense. I know, okay, temp, that's bad. Um, we'll look at James. Y'all are going to look at James around your table. And one thing about James, in the first 13 verses, you see the word test, you see the word trial, and you see the word tempt. And some of those words are the same. And so that's where it can be helpful to have something like this. So you can kind of figure out what exactly is going on. Trials, I'm supposed to be thankful for. Temptations don't come from God. Testing, what is that? So... And, it can help. You don't have to do that every time you're reading, but it can help if you're getting stuck on a word. So let's do this. Take one minute, and on your little sheet of paper, under what does it say, what does it mean, I want you to write down your observations, anything that you think is interesting. And if there are any words that you don't know, or words that you think are important, that you say, man, I think I need to dig into that a little bit. One minute. That's all we got.
All right, we got to stop. Somebody tell me, what was something to you that jumped out? Something you thought was interesting, something you thought was important? Somebody say something. Test? What? Which sentence? Yep, that's good. What else? That's good. What else did you find interesting or thought was important? That's good. What else? It's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. What else? good what else huh why would he do that very interesting question why would the holy spirit do that to somebody that's good both of those are good what else mm-hmm. he uses the bible anything else so here's some of mine like this is this is these are just some of mine holy spirit leads jesus out into the wilderness to be tempted why would he do that Jesus quotes the Old Testament in order to shut the devil down, the temptations. The first two start the same. If you are the Son of God, that sounds like an attack on Jesus' identity to me. And if, you, if I'd read a bigger story, if I'd read a bigger chunk, I would have known the story right before this was Jesus' baptism. Where at his baptism, the Father says, This is my Son whom I love, with, whom, with him I'm well pleased. And immediately, the devil attacks Jesus around his identity that he's just... Uh, received from the Father. Uh, verse The third temptation starts differently to me. It seems to be more about what Jesus is doing. The devil does use scripture to entice Jesus. And then I just listed what the temptations were. You have that next slide. And then, that, and then I thought, it's interesting. The devil claims to give Jesus all the, world, all the kingdoms of the world. Can he actually do that? Like, are they his? And you may have others. And that's fine. That's all you're doing is that as you read a passage, you just want to stop. So if you know you've got, let's say you think you've got, I've got 15 minutes to read. Don't read for 15 minutes. Because what you're going to do is you're going to read for 15 minutes, and you're going to close the book, and then you're going to leave. James 1 says that uh, if you know the word and you don't put it into practice, it's like looking at yourself in the mirror and walking away and forgetting what you saw. And so if you've got 15 minutes, if you read for the entire 15 minutes, there's no time for you to get, you can't get anything out of it. You can mark your checkbox, I, I got through my reading for the day, but that's it. So if you've got 15 minutes, I would say read for seven, read for eight, and give yourself seven or eight to think and to pray and to do this. Like, what jumped out at you? You don't need ten things. You need one thing. What's one thing that jumped out at me? Maybe you got time and you can, if you've got the study Bible, you can look down. It's got all kinds of footnotes about all of this stuff. It'll tell you where the mountain is, and it'll tell you what fasting is, and it'll do all of those things, and it's very helpful. Or you can look it up, or you can make yourself a note to ask somebody. But give yourself time when you're reading to process, to think, to pray, or all you're doing is getting information at that point. So again, you're, you don't have to go all the way into some kind of, you don't have to, you're not trying to get a grade on a paper here. You're trying to figure out what's God saying through this. Out of every story God could have told, why this one and why this way? Like what, what is in here for me? When you think particularly about the Gospels, 
You've got four. So Genesis 1 and 2, you have two chapters that are dedicated to the creation of everything. And you have four books that are dedicated to three years of a guy's life. There's a lot in the Gospels for us. I said it doesn't matter how your pattern of reading, and that's true. But my recommendation is always gospel something else, gospel something else, gospel something else. I go back all the time. They're the four most important books in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are by far. They're the four most important. And so you're not, you're not going to read them too much. And you're going to find something new every time. And so, anyway, I, that's tangent. So, observations. So then the next thing. Oh, go back. Sorry. So I want you to take one of your observations or two and take 30 seconds and say, what could this possibly mean to me? So Erica noticed this thing about angels. What could that possibly mean? And so you just write that down on your sheet. 30 seconds. Take one of your observations. All right. That's good. So here's some of mine. You don't have to share yours because they're, they're, they they're probably, hopefully, they're personal. So here's some of, so this is passage specific. I think, what does it say? What does it mean? To me, that's kind of science. You're just looking. It's objective. It's like, what, what's in here? What does it mean to me as art? That's not, there's no science to that. It's personal. What does it mean to me? If you're teaching, you've got to be a little more careful that you're making applications that are broad and not just personal. But if you're, if you're just reading the Bible for yourself, then it's okay if the applications are just personal. And if you've done what does it say, what does it mean, then it, you're, a lot, you're on a lot more uh, solid or safe ground in making an application like somebody may look at that and say, man, you know what I took out of that is I should never be hungry because the devil tempted him after that's not that's not valid. It's not valid. And so if you can dig into what does it say? What does it mean? Makes it you can be much feel again. You can feel more comfortable about the applications that you're drawing from your for yourself or for other people. So those are the ones that I just came up with off of my observations. Jesus was perfect and he was tempted, so I can be tempted. The devil went after Jesus' identity and calling. He's going to do the same thing for me. I need to know the Bible well enough to use it as a weapon against temptation. I need to know God in the Bible well enough to recognize when someone or the devil is manipulating the truth, like he did in that second temptation. I need to be confident in my identity and my calling because they'll be attacked. You have others, and that's fine, and, and you're just looking for one thing. That's it, just one. What's one takeaway? What's one thing that I can get out of this passage? It, you'll read this passage 35 more times before you die. You don't have to get everything out of it once. You'll come back to it. So what's one thing that you can incorporate? What's one prayer that you can pray? What's one act of obedience? What's one place where you need to grow? I can say, you know what? I, need to, I, don't, I don't know. Am I confident in who I am in Christ? And I can just say, God, I want to be confident in who I am in you today. And I don't want to let all the stuff that bounces around 
to cause me to question my identity. And I know that that, that can happen. And so the, that's it. That's how you read the Bible. You pick something. I don't care what. Pick something. Give yourself some time to read it and then give yourself some time to work through. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean to me? You don't have to write anything down. You can do all of it in your head. And it's, it will become automatic, just like shooting a free throw, hitting a forehand, your golf swing, whatever those things are. It will become automatic for you very quickly. You don't have to know Greek. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know all of the ins and outs of ancient Near Eastern culture. You don't. There are times where those things are helpful to know. And there are thousands of resources that can help you. Again, I would, I've said it ten times. That study Bible will give you much of what, doesn't give you everything, but it will give you much of what you need in terms of, I don't quite understand what is going on here. It will help you know what's going on. It doesn't do this for you. The Life Application Bible does this for you. If you want that, my recommendation would be you don't want that. You want the Holy Spirit to do this for you. So you get the information. You figure out what the Bible is saying. Then you ask the Lord, like, what, do you, what does this mean for me? Does that make sense? Who has a question? Yes. What do you mean? So here's what I would say, not knowing your friends. But most likely, none of us know anybody who's smarter than the guys who did that translation. They, they do it by committee, and they're brilliant. So the chances that we're going to come up with something in Greek or Hebrew, that the guys that did the NIV or the NASB, like, they got it. And so if, the, if it's helpful for you, so there are definitely some helpful things in looking at some of those words. But it can, you can bog down really fast. And that's why that blue letter Bible, if you use it, you don't have to know any Greek at all and if you're interest, or Hebrew. And if you're interested, it's got, the, it's got the data. And so you can get it from there. And what you'll find out is probably 19 times out of 20, probably 98 times out of 100 actually, what you, you've got it. What, what your Bible says in English is exactly what it was. Like there's no nuance that you're missing. At all, And one thing that you can do if you don't want to go that route is you can look, like on that blue letter Bible, there's a tab and it said Bibles. And if you click on it, it gives 15 translations of the same verse. And if you look at two or three translations of the same verse, you can see if there's any nuance that you're missing at all. Particularly if you look at some of the ones that are called thought for thought. So this is maybe more than you want to know. But So for me, I'll look at the NIV. I'll look at the NASB, and I'll look at one called the NET, New English Translation. I'll look at those three all at once, and that covers the gamut. And so if you're missing any, you're not going to miss anything if you're looking at those three in general. Anybody have any other questions? Of course you do. We didn't do everything. Too much information? No. So there's two ways, well... Again, I would, you can look at those section headings. They're, they're pretty good. That's a bit more, to me, that's a bit more feel. There's some key words that you can look for. They're markers. So like if you're reading the Gospels, if Jesus moves from one physical location to another, that's usually an indication because he's moved from one place to, the another, to, a, to another. If the time of day is changed in the Gospels, that's an indication 
you can, y'all have read enough, you can probably feel a scene shift, but in general, that's what you're looking for. In the Gospels, in the history books, um, in the Old Testament, it's, it's usually when there's a physical move. Um, one thing you can also look for in the Gospels is Jesus' sermons are kind of self-contained units. So the Sermon on the Mount, that's three chapters. Like, just read it, and then you're done. There's five sermons in Matthew, and you can kind of hold on to those. Um, as chunks of material. And the same thing in the rest of the, in the other Gospels as well. You can look at a sermon. It would be like if you walked out in the middle of mine. I mean, mine are as good as his. But if, if you miss part of it, you miss. So you read the whole thing. If you can, and this can be hard time-wise, if you can read a whole letter at once, I think it's helpful. And some of those are short and, they, and you can. Some of them, like Romans, are super dense and super hard. So what you can look for, this may be more information than you want to know as well. You can look for the word in Paul, the word therefore. And anytime you see that word, that's a key that, like, wake up and you say, why is it there? Like, what's it there for? So that's what you're asking. That He's drawing an implication at that point. He's summarizing material and drawing an implication, and so that can be a break as well. Everything that went before is foundation, and everything that comes after is application. And so that can be a way of seeing, of, of trying to break up those letters where you can kind of get lost. And he's got several in each one of his letters. Psalms, they're all standalone. Proverbs, each proverb is standalone. Uh, the prophecies, when you change from one country to the next, who's getting doomed? That's a that's an indication. So, what else? You have any other questions? You can do whatever you want. I mean, there got there's. I think there's what thirty one proverbs. So you could read. You get through the whole book in a month if you read one a day. And there's a hundred and. 50 psalms, so you can get through all of them if you read five a day in a month. But that's a lot. The point for me, like it's not a, it's not a race. The point is to get it in you. And so whatever helps you get it in you, and some of you are better auditory than reading, then listen to it. But give yourself space. Don't read for your whole allotted time. Give yourself some time. If you're a verbal processor, then you need to find somebody that you can talk to. Or you can, if you can do that, talking to God, then do that. But you need to figure out how I'm, what's the way for you to actually take this from being something I'm reading on a page to something I'm living out in my life. So my big points takeaways. One, find a framework. You've got to get one. I would encourage you to get one. Approach the Bible assuming there's, revel- there's truth there for you. So hold on to the big picture. God's holy love primary commandments are to love God and love people. There's consistency throughout the Bible. Then approach that. Use the method. What's it say? What's it mean? What's it mean to me? If you're never getting to what it means for me, then you're missing the point. And so you want to be, I would, you don't have to read, I don't read the Bible every day. I read it probably three to five days a week. And you find out what works for you. You don't have to read it seven days a week. If you're reading it once a month, unless you have incredible recall, I don't know how you can keep the story together. 
it breaks up. To me, it breaks up. I forget what I read, and there's no context. So I have to read it consistently enough that I can remember what I read the last time. So for me, that's every three to five days. And I, and I read for what the time I've got. Right now, I said I'm reading five Psalms, and I decided just because I've been reading the Bible since I was 12 and I'm 41, I decided to read through backwards. So, not, so that's what I'm doing. It's different. Sometimes I read the books backwards. Like you start at the end and work to the beginning. It makes you focus in a different way. So whatever, you, whatever works for you, and try different things because you're going to be reading it for a really long time. But no matter how you're reading, always asking, God, what does this mean for me today? If, it's not for, if you're not getting to know God better and you're not living your life better, then you're missing the point of why he's given us the book. So here's what I want you to do. You should... Did I, did I do another sheet? Oh, so we need Bibles. You can use your phone. It's fine. I want you to look at James 1 as a table. I want you all to decide whatever, however you want to delineate a section. You don't have to do the whole chapter unless you feel like the whole chapter is the section. You've got to do more than one verse. So something in between one verse and the whole chapter. As a table, y'all decide what the section is. And I want you to work through it together. And then I want you to present. Well, it'll take five minutes at the end. And I want each table, I want you to share just the overview. This was our section. This is what it says. This is what it means. And here's one point of application for the rest of you. Does that make sense? All right. And you can't just lean on the teachers in your group. Everybody needs to participate. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. James 1, you have 20 minutes. 